All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, I'm going to go over the all-star selections very briefly, then a quick note about belief, and then finally a wrap-up about number one seeds overall. So, packed episode today for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. go just really quickly i mean they released the starters and it was pretty much right in line with what i talked about last week i mean on the western conference they basically had steph and dame first and then luca and donovan mitchell for the guard positions and that's basically where we everybody else had ranked them as well i mean it's what's nice is that this year and i'm sure they do this every year but this is the first year i actually noticed this is the first year where they actually posted where each player was ranked from a fan perspective from a player perspective and from a media perspective and all across the board you know steph got first place for the guard position and then the other guards after that kind of you know were mixed but it was nice to see that basically the other selections that I had made not only at the guard position but in the front court too were the ones that got selected I mean LeBron James, Jokic, Kawhi Leonard were the top picks for the front court in the western conference and then flipping over to the east we had you know KD, Giannis, Joel Embiid as the top three in the front court and then you know Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving and Jalen Brown were the top three in the backcourt. I mean, the way that they ended up ranking these, I'm looking at the media rank and the and the player rank for how these ended up. Um, I do think that Kyrie and James Harden being selected together and that high kind of disservice to some of the other guards that were in the Eastern Conference, plus Russell Westbrook sneaking in somehow is kind of disrespectful, but Anyway, um, those are, you know, the Eastern and Western Conference All-Stars. So just to give you all top 10 for for both sides in the East for the backcourt to your guard position, you have Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Zach Levine, Jalen Brown, Trey Young, Russell Westbrook, Ben Simmons, Fred Van Vliet, and Colin Sexton in that order. For the front court in the Eastern Conference, you have Kevin Durant, Giannis, Embiid, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Julius Randle, Dante DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Grant, and Jordan Hayward. Sorry, I got a little tongue-tied there. Weird. In the Western Conference, for the guard position, you have Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Ja Morant, Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, CJ McCollum, and DeMar DeRozan. And for the front court, to round out the all-star selection, you have LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Christian Wood, Rudy Gobert, and rounding them all out is Carmelo Anthony. So pretty loaded all-star game. I mean, we have a lot of the usual suspects, but we had a few, you know, new faces as well, such as John Moran, Zion Williamson sneak in, so that's good to see. And... I'm excited. I mean, they're they're definitely having a game. 
they're using the same format that they did last year, which was highly competitive. So I'm glad that they're keeping them. But the only reason that they're having this, of course, is they got to get them checks. It makes sense. I mean, you know, the, the league is hurting from a financial standpoint. They want to make sure they have all their TV contract money. So they're going to do it. What I'm kind of glad about is that they're going to try and squeeze everything, what it sounds like, in one day. So it's no longer a whole weekend, which is nice that they're just going to get it all done in a day. And I think they always could have got it done in a day. I mean, nobody really cared about the celebrity game. Uh, the skills contest and the three-point contest are nice, but they're a little bit unnecessary to have on their own day with the dunk contest. And maybe it was for the, the contract purposes that they spread them out over three days so that you'd have to tune in on all the different days and you know they can run as many commercials and span it over as much time as possible but this year they're gonna just bang it all out on march 7th and that sunday is going to be a, a pretty interesting day for basketball right and then we have the all-star game as well so it's on a loaded weekend that weekend for sports is just gonna be kind of crazy i mean we're heading towards the Masters, so I'm sure there's going to be some golf that weekend. Um, on the 6th, there's three title fights for the UFC, including one from Stylebender, who's like one of the best fighters I've ever seen in a long time. And then, you know, Sunday is a jam-packed NBA All-Star Day. Uh, thus begins, you know, the week-long break from uh, NBA and and uh, that'll be kind of nice for everybody to just hit the reset button in a, in a number of weeks here. And as we barrel towards the end of the the first half, it's a uh, come time you know to to check on different teams and where they're really going to end up. I mean, at the beginning of the season, I made a bunch of predictions about win loss records for every single team in the league, and I'll be checking those and getting back to you on how I did once we get it kind of finalized um i think that every team probably has more losses than i was expecting because it's just been a lot more competitive this year and you know factoring in covid had to kind of you know make sure that i counted for those in the win-loss record and, and you know obviously it's affected every single team so we'll be getting back to you on that but super excited for the all-star game to start and i think that you know the format is of, of one where it's going to be really good. Now, as far as who wins the All-Star game, it's a, really a toss-up, man. I think that from a guard perspective, it's really evenly matched between the East and the West, but I think the West has better guards for sure, and then the East probably has a better front court. I mean, LeBron's getting a little older. Jokic is pretty good, and then after that, I mean, it's just, I mean, you have Kawhi and PG. I mean, it's going to be pretty even. I mean, last year, you know, they had the captains and they had the selection day and, you know, the, they got to select their teams and all that. This year, that's not the case. It's just classic format of East versus West meets this new format of, you know, what is called, you know, the Kobe Bryant format, I guess. So it's going to be interesting to see which team actually pulls it out um, now that they just gone back to grouping players by conference instead of, you know, making it more like a, a pickup game. Um, with that being said, I'm still super excited. You know, uh, the turnout for fan voting actually was 
really, really large. And I mean, you can vote on normal, you know, on multiple days and some days your vote counts as twice but like literally millions and millions of votes were placed um which i think speaks directly to the league and their quote-unquote ratings problem that they've had over the last few years um and i say quote-unquote because i don't really think that they've had a viewership problem because i think every not everybody but a lot of people watch the nba and you know it's in the millions of people that watch on a nightly basis i just think that there's so many ways to consume sports between you know legal streaming illegal streaming nba app uh your classic t- television logging into you know somebody else's television uh setup so you can watch games catching them on local channels there's so many ways to watch games and not all of them are being tracked so i don't think there's ever really been a viewership problem and i think that the the all-star voting kind of alludes to that i mean there's millions and millions of votes for all these different players that get processed basically on a daily basis and that tells me that basketball is just as vibrant as ever and you know we're heading in a good direction so you know the all-star game should be another proof of that that's one where you pretty much have to watch it on whatever program that it's on so it's super excited to see that um but anyway so all-star starters have been named um and from there you know all that's left is to really play the game um let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about belief okay so i wanted to do a small segment this episode about just the concept of belief and why it's so important to the success of a team um and it stems from watching the warriors heat game from wednesday night where the warriors were basically down 10 the entire game um even late into the fourth they were almost down by about 15 kemp bazemore and eric pascal wiggins all got hot and uh you know Steph hit a pretty big three and they ended up tying the game and going into overtime and winning the game and I think that's only possible because of the belief in the team by the players they believed in their roles they believed in their ability to play defense they believed in their ability to get stops and ultimately they believed in their ability to win and it came to fruition, and I think that's important for everybody, is the concept of belief and visualization, and turning that into a winning attitude, for sure, because there's very easily, you know, with five minutes left to go down 15, they could have basically just thrown in the towel, pulled all their starters, and, you know, not played the rest of the game and just accepted the loss and moved on to the next one but instead they fought and got the win and of course as as a warrior fan that was really exciting for me to see and obviously that's why you know that sticks out in particular compared to other games but honestly like we having a comeback win like that is reminiscent of the the warriors championship teams of you know years prior where 
even if the team was down by like 10, 15 points, if there was a few minutes left in the game, you believed that they would still find a way to come back. And teams played them like that. And maybe the Heat, you know, took their foot off the gas, and that's why. And then you go, you know, to tonight with the Nets, Lakers, and entering halftime, the Lakers were down by 20. And you feel like the rest of the game, they kind of just coast through and, you know, were for sure playing, but were they really playing that hard? Did they really believe in their ability to win once they had already been down by 20 against this Nets team? And granted, the Nets shot very well, and I don't want to take that away from them, but having the belief in the team, just I just felt wasn't there in the Lakers game. And it was very hard to be, you know, when the when the team is down so much. But seeing that on, on Tuesday or Wednesday night, the Warriors mount that comeback. First, you know, transported me back into those championship years for sure. Um, you know, I, I, my Warriors and Steph Curry MVP stock was at an all-time high. But having that belief is integral, I think, to winning a winning franchise, a winning team, and a winning perspective. I mean, you go back and you think of basically any post-championship interview that ever happens, and you get an interview that sounds a lot like, hey, I just believed in my teammates, believed in the coach, believed in the process, believed in our playbook, and just went out and executed, or something along that lines. And... I mean, it's very cliche to say, and it's very, you know, cheesy when we hear it, and we're quick to basically dismiss it, but I think for the belief is so, so very important, because at that point, people are bought in, and they start executing at the highest levels, based on their not having any cognitive dissonance, meaning they're not doubting the playbook they're not doubting people's abilities to fill their roles so they can focus completely on filling their own role to the best of their ability or they also don't get bogged down if things don't go the way that their beliefs are going in a sense that if a shooter is not shooting and again i refer back to the wednesday night warriors game where steph curry was 3 of 16 from deep and just having a really, really tough game heading into the end of it. I think he only had 17 points late in the fourth um, and then ended up getting eight more throughout the course of you know the last couple minutes plus overtime for a total of 25. But when Steph Curry, you know, arguably the greatest shooter of all time, is having a rough night and you're down by 15, it's very easily you can not believe in the team, not believe in your role, and just basically collapse and continue to be losing. But I think it takes a special type of team, organization, player, and group of people to just continue to believe and execute on their roles in a way that ultimately led them to victory. So I just wanted to do a few minutes on that because I think we can, in our everyday lives, take a piece of that and go and execute in whatever it is that we do, whether it be, you know, our day jobs or, you know, what we do for fun or, you know, communication in different, you know, relationships that we have or whatever. 
different teams and different roles that we play throughout our lives require a different level of belief in our ability to execute on them. So as long as you have that, then the wins are going to come. I, you know, there's been several leaders, both in the sports world and outside, that you know mentioned just focusing on the fundamentals, believing in them, and you know, as Bill Walsh once said, the score will take care of itself. Or John Wooden, you know, saying, you know, if we make sure we know how to tie our shoes and run these fundamentals, then you know, we're, the winning will take care of itself. And I firmly believe that. And the Warriors demonstrated that on Wednesday. And I just wanted to point it out because I thought it was a very great game. Let's take another very, very quick break. And then we'll come back. And I just got a, a short thing on, on number one overall seeds. And then we'll get out of here for the day. So as we approach the end of the first half of the season, the standings are starting to shake out in a way that I think are going to persist until the end of the season. Granted, if there's any type of injuries or anything like that that we can't predict, right? Some player gets coronavirus for two weeks and they have to shut it down and they're completely out of pocket, then, you know, obviously we all reserve the right to to change based on the current information that we have but as you know the standings start to formulate they're going a lot of the way that you would predict that they that they go um granted there's been a couple of surprises but outside of that it's very similar to you know where experts myself and everybody else can predict that the conference standings go so over in the west we have the utah jazz who've just been playing absolutely lights out in the number one seed. They've only lost five games out of 29, and uh, followed by them are the Lakers at 22-8, and eight, the Clippers at 21-9, and nine, the Blazers at 18-10, and 10, the Suns at 17-10, and 10, the Spurs at 16-11, and 11, the Warriors at 16-13, and 13, the Nuggets at 15-13, and 13, the Grizzlies at 12-12, and 12, the Mavericks at 13-15, and 15, the Pelicans at 12-16, and 16, along with the Kings with the same record, Rockets and Thunder are both at 11 and 17, and the Minnesota Timberwolves are at 7 and 22. In the Eastern Conference, <clears throat> we have a bit of a surprise team at the top with the Philadelphia 76ers at 19 and 10. Then we have the Nets at 19 and 12, the Bucks at 16 and 13, the Pacers at 15 and 14, the Celtics at 14 and 14, the Raptors at 14 and 15. The Knicks at 14 and 16, the Hornets at 13 and 15, the Bulls at 12 and 15, the Hawks at 12 and 16, the Heat at 12 and 17, the Magic at 11 and 18, the Wizards at 9 and 17, the Cavs at 10 and 19, and finally the Pistons are 8 and 20. You still with me? That was 30 teams. Just kidding. So, with all that being said, I mean, that's basically you know, where the standings are going to shake out by the end of it. it. The surprise, of course, is where the Heat are at, at the 11th seed being so low. I expected them to be a lot higher and basically flip-flop places with the Pacers, but the Pacers have been playing pretty well. Um, the top six are generally the top six in the East on a regular basis, and then everybody after that always changes positions 
Wizards, you would have expected it to be higher, and Hawks, you would have expected it to be higher, but honestly, it's makes sense based on their their makeup where they're at switching over to the west side the rockets aren't exactly where you would expect them to be but other than that i mean the bottom teams are the bottom teams as projected the pelicans kings thunder and timberwolves rounding out the bottom um spurs you know i've already talked about the spurs and how they're playing i think exceptionally well and then i think everybody expected the one of the la teams to take the one seed over the jazz um but with that being said i had to just take the regular season with a grain of salt granted we still have a lot of the ways to go and an injury or you know a tough schedule or something like that could change any of these standings within a heartbeat and it's going to be fluid right we, we have covid we have injuries that could happen we have tougher matchup schedulings we have easier matchup schedulings for other teams. Like, this is going to change, right? This Whatever order that it's currently in is definitely going to change. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize that the regular season standings don't necessarily determine where a team is going to fall. So, you know, I went ahead and looked at the last... 20 years right because it's plenty of sample size and in the last 20 years in the the only times that the number one seed in the east met with the number one seed in the west it's only happened three times in the last 20 years in 2000 the indiana pacers met the la lakers in the finals and the lakers won in 2008, Boston Celtics met the LA Lakers and the Celtics won. And then in 2016, Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron's Cavaliers, met the Golden State Warriors led by Steph and, you know, Clay and Draymond and all that in the finals. That was only three times in the last 20 years that the one seed. In the East, met the one seed in the West. So for any of you that are holding on to Utah Jazz versus Philadelphia 76ers, exact matchup, finals, tickets, you might be in trouble, right? Depending on how the rest of the season shakes out. So with that in mind, I mean, obviously the playoffs are a season in and of itself where the champions come to play and figure out who really has the best. Honestly, you see a lot more of the two seed getting into the finals over the one seed. Um, just just to give you an idea, in the Eastern Conference, the number one seed has only made it to the finals six times, and they've won three times. Celtics and Cavs were two of those wins, and the third win was the Heat, in 2013 their three losses are we just talked about the 2000 pacers when they made it the 2001 sixers and the 2002 nets so if you take those three years out in the early 2000s i mean they've only made it three times in the last 17 so i mean it's pretty brutal um for a number one seed to make it it's more often the number two seed and i didn't crunch the numbers but it's it's well over 50% of the time that it's actually the number two seed that makes it 
to the NBA Finals. And for whatever reason, that just seems to be the case. I don't know if maybe it's the level of competition. Because think about it, right? Like the one seed comes in and then they place the eight seed. And it's usually like a sweep or something. Maybe the confidence is at an all-time high. And they believe, you know, the rest of the series is going to be easy. But then they run into potentially the fifth or the fourth seed. All right, because one plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six. So that's the winner of, you know, two and seven. And then the winner plays four and five. Okay, yeah, so... So they run into potentially an even weaker team, and then their first real series is the Western Conference Finals. Granted, the number two <coughs> seeded team has to play the seventh seed, which is generally a, a bit better than the eighth seed. And, you know, maybe it comes down to half a game or something like that. But then they likely have to turn around and play the three seed to make it even to the Western Conference Finals. So they're geared up and ready to go for competition. Now, obviously, this is, you know, a bit dramatic because obviously you know there's sweeps all across the first round by from number one seed number two seed you know a six can upset a three and then obviously the road for the two seeds a lot easier but that being said i mean the number one seed in the regular season does not guarantee a finals appearance actually you're more likely to get in with the number two seed in the western conference it's a little bit more common you have 11 appearances in the finals by a western conference winner and uh nine of those were wins so you know you have the lakers do it a handful of times um pretty much every championship year for kobe they were uh no, I take that back. I was going to say they were the number one seed, but actually just the two that Kobe got post Shaq, he was the number one seed. And then he even made it to the finals that year as the number one seed. So 2008, 2009, 2010, the Lakers were the number one seed in the West and made it to the finals, um, which is super hard to do and super rare. So, you know, shout out, shout out Kobe. Um, the Spurs did it in 2014 and actually won. The Warriors did it in 2015 and 2017. Um, 2017 Warriors was just one of the greatest teams of all time, so that makes sense. Um, and the Lakers did it in 2020, so they had 11 appearances and nine wins in those 11 appearances, and only two losses. The only two teams that lost were the 2008 Lakers, <coughs> as the number one seed that made it to the finals, and the 2016 Warriors, which we won't talk about because you know we all know what happened during that year. Um, and if you don't know, that's the year that there was the 3-1 loss. And after beating Oklahoma City and overcoming a 3-1 deficit, we'd go turn around and give up a 3-1 deficit to LeBron and the Lakers because Draymond can't keep his hands to himself. So, <clears throat> with all that being said, for those of you that are really excited about the Utah Jazz, and you should be. I mean, they're playing absolutely great. They're not even playing like one guy is just balling out and it's, you know, Superman and his, his Justice League of Friends. They are really playing like a well-oiled machine. They're playing more like a Voltron or a Megazord from Power Rangers where, you know, the sum of all of its parts are greater than, you know, what you would get individually or the whole is greater than the sum of all its parts, I think is what I was trying to say. So, you know, 
I mean, I'm excited to see the Jazz and the Sixers continue their run that they've been on, and hopefully, you know, this is one of those years because we're pretty much due for one where, you know, the number one seed in the East meets the number one seed in the West in the finals. Hopefully they can hold on to it. I mean, it's being billed. I don't know how how many times they mentioned it in the broadcast um, of this Nets-Lakers games that it could be a potential finals matchup, and it was all over NBA Twitter and ESPN, um, you know, social media, and, and everybody was touting this. It was like, this is going to be the finals. Like, it's set in stone. So maybe they'll be the two seeds, and they'll meet. Uh, but I'm pulling for, you know, a different team that doesn't have LeBron on it to actually make the finals. And hopefully that's the case with the Jazz and the Sixers. And those are going to be, you know, who I'm pulling for for the rest of the year. So <clears throat> that's all I had for you. I just wanted to give you guys the stats on, you know, the number one seed and, and how often they really make it to the finals. So now that you have it, I'm excited for that. Um, excited for this last, you know, eight, nine game stretch before we have uh, an all-star break and an opportunity to, to watch all these stars get together. Um, I was actually looking it up during one of the breaks and I think they are still doing the, the draft, like, you know, uh, playground pickup style selection of the actual teams. I think that's going to go down on Thursday with Katie and LeBron as the the captains but um so that'll be interesting as opposed to just going in east west format and you know i hope you guys are enjoying a bunch of basketball i hope you guys are staying safe especially those of you that are in the country impacted by this deep freeze man that that is a wild situation and uh you know hopefully everybody's okay so with that i mean i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and uh catch you next week